Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to another great Wednesday night, United. We're so excited about what God has us uh, prepared to share with you tonight. It's always a pleasure, obviously, to uh, address this congregation and this church uh, from uh, uh, my heart. Uh, I get so excited to share with you what God has uh, laid on my spirit. And uh, we want to go to Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. And uh, we want to look at some things uh, pertaining to this subject, are you interested? Are you interested? And uh, <clears throat> this is, my wife has an uh, a, uh, adage that she uses called, she'll say, this is leader food. Well, this is what this is. This is leadership food. And the reason behind that is years ago, uh, we heard a, a pastor say something. They said, matter of fact, it was Pastor Nancy Dufresne. She made a statement. She said, you feed sheep, sheep food, and you feed leaders, leaders food. Now, I realize that leaders are sheep and that sheep are leaders, but here's the thing. Uh, when you feed different things, you put out leader food and leaders grab it, whether they are leading or not, all right? Uh, meaning this that leaders grab a hold of what's being said. And so here in Hebrews chapter 12, and we want to read verse 1, and it's a familiar passage of Scripture, but nonetheless, uh, I want to read it to you from, <clears throat> excuse me, the Amplified Bible. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony of the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient, notice this, patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Now, I've always read this verse, the years I've been in ministry and been saved, and it, it was always impactful to me. But I'll tell you when it really gained a large impact in my life was uh, the, the morning that uh, my father passed away and moved to heaven. Uh, I, uh, of course, I called my pastor. They'd been believing with me and uh, praying with me, and I called him, and I said, you know, uh, Dad moved to heaven. And he made the statement. He said, well, he's now part of that great cloud of witnesses. And that really brought something real to me about this. And here's what uh, I see, that yet there is a great cloud of witnesses that are watching to see, notice, if we're going to run the race that's set before us. He says here in the Amplified Bible, the appointed course of the race that's set before us, our race. So every person under the sound of my voice, every person watching online, we have a race. We have a course that is our race. And notice what he says, that heaven is interested in whether or not I fulfill the plan of God for my life. All right? Heaven is interested in whether or not I fulfill the plan of God for my life. One, one uh, theologian I read after said that what this carries the idea of is a grandstand in heaven like you would see in uh, 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 the bleachers or the stands in a football stadium or more appropriately a track event and the stands are filled with people, and the spectators are cheering on the runners. They're watching what's happening, 
and they're cheering on the runners. The idea this carries is that this great cloud of witnesses, and you can put all the heroes of the faith in there, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Sarah, uh, Gideon, Samson, David, all of them, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, name them. They are all in that heavenly grandstand, and they are cheering us on to finish our race, to finish what God has asked us to do. The most important voice in this generation is yours. The most important voice at this time is your voice. Now, people will say, but I don't have a, a very far reach. You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not this. The most important thing to you is that you're doing what God called you to do and running your appointed part of the race. Uh, it was my, I think it was my uh, third marathon that I had ran. And uh, I was there uh, in the morning of the race. And uh, Sarah Bell, who goes to church here, has since she was a little bitty girl, uh, was there. And, and Cindy was there as well, her mother. And they were running that marathon, but they were running uh, a relay on a relay team. All right? And Sarah was running the first part of that race. And so we, we took off running together. And of course, I've known her since she was a little bitty girl. And uh, uh, we were running together and just talking and sharing, you know, and, and talking about the race and talking about other things. She was talking about her job and school and things that she was doing. And uh, all of a sudden she said, well, she said, Pastor, I better pick up the pace because we're running a relay. And she said, so I got, I got to run a little faster. And, and of course, she took off. And uh, she, uh, before she left, she said, uh, you know, people are going to think, well, you know, boy, she's really running fast. She's going to finish this quick. But here's my point. She was running a relay. It would, she had to run her part of that race so that the other people could run their part of the race. Do you see this? That this is what's so important. And that's in any area, whether it's a relay on a marathon, a, a, a 440 relay, an 880 relay, what a mile relay, whatever it is, there's somebody that's waiting on you to hand the baton to them so that they can then take it and move forward. There was a minister one time that was being interviewed by a, a, a young man that has an interview show. And uh, they were talking about celebrating their father's birthday. And their father had been a pastor for many, 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 many years. And it was his 85th birthday. And they said in that 85th birthday that he prayed a prayer at his birthday. And it was a prayer of consecration for the plan of God for his life. Now he's been pastoring these multitude of years. He's at, in his 85th year of life. And he's still praying that I will be consecrated to fulfill the plan of God for my life. Because at whatever age you're at tonight, whatever age you find yourself at, whether it be on the young end of the spectrum, middle age, or if you consider yourself older, there is a race, there is a plan, there's something that heaven is watching and heaven is interested in to see if you're going to accomplish. Hallelujah. We have an appointed course in this race. Now, this is important. We don't run just any course because there's a course appointed to us. We, we don't just run anywhere. There's a course appointed to us. When you run a race, you run a marathon, you run through the city. They run a marathon uh, in Kansas City every year. They run a marathon in Olathe. They run a marathon in, in, the, in Little Rock. There's a course. They will give you a course map. There will be signs out. There will be people out. There will be directions because there's a course that they have mapped out that's exactly 26.2 miles, and you follow the course in order to finish the race. If you cut a corner or if you take a, a detour, you might cross the finish line, but officially you did not finish because you didn't 
run the course that was assigned to you. Hallelujah. So there's a course that's assigned to me. And it should be in the forefront of our minds consistently what we are on this planet to accomplish. I'm here to accomplish something. It should, that should be in the forefront of my mind. That what, what am I here to accomplish? Amen. I'm not just here to breathe oxygen and take a paycheck. I'm not here just to live out my life and retire one day and live a few years after I retire and then go on to my reward. I'm rewarded for something. And that's doing what I'm appointed to do. Tell your neighbor, you're appointed to do something. See, all of us are appointed to accomplish something on this planet. And that's got to be in the forefront of my mind. We are here for a purpose. And understand this, it is a heaven-born plan. It's something that originated in the mind of God. It's something that originated in the heart of God. It's something that originated before you were ever born. It's something that originated in God's design for you in eternity past before your parents were born, your grandparents were born, your great-grandparents were born. Before anyone in your lineage ever walked this earth, there was a heaven-born plan for you and a heaven-born plan for me. But we have to want it. We have to be interested in it. Hallelujah. The greatest day of my life, and I've said this for years, the greatest day of my life was when I discovered what God's plan for me was. And yes, it was God's plan for me to be saved, God's plan for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, redemption was His plan. But within that, <clears throat> in that experience, in that redemptive package, then there's something God said, okay, now you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know you're redeemed, now I've got something for you to do. The greatest day of my life was when I discovered that. And I was blessed to have been raised in a home and, and raised in an environment where we may not have been uh, uh, known specifically what we were supposed to do, but to understand that God had a plan for each of us. God had something that we were called to do. The greatest day of my life was when I got out of bed early one morning at 7548 Corona Street in Kansas City, Kansas, and my feet hit the floor, and I knew at that moment I was a pastor. I knew that's what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. Amen. Now, that would have been probably 25 years ago or more now. I did not start pastoring right away. I was the assistant pastor at a church, but I knew that was the call of God on my life. It was the easiest thing in the world for me to come to that church where I was the assistant pastor doing all the ministry at that time. It was the easiest thing in the world for me to preach all the times I was preaching every week, to study, to prepare, to be ready. Why? That's what I'm called to do. That's, that's the purpose. That's the plan of God for my life. And when I discovered that, when I found that plan that was assigned to me, that was the day my life changed. That was the greatest event besides salvation in my life. And from that point on, it's been in the forefront of my mind. We have to be purposeful. This is important. We have to be purposeful. We have to be accurate in what we're doing in this life. This is something that the Lord has talked to me about a lot recently, being accurate. And Pastor Michelle made the statement Sunday night when she ministered, and if you if you didn't get to see that, uh, you should avail yourself of the Roku channel or the YouTube channel and go re-watch that or, or watch it for the first time. She made the statement about how that every year, Pat Harrison said this, Miss Pat said this, 
Every year, Brother Hagin would lay out the plans that he had for the year before the Lord. And he would say, now, Lord, this is what I plan to do. Huh, is, does that sound right to you? Is that what you would desire? Well, he's doing that into his 60s and 70s and 80s. He's walked with God all of those years, and yet, notice, he's still being purposeful and being wanting to be accurate in what God desires that he does. This is important. Because I have to be purposeful in this race. I have to be accurate in what God is asking me to do and with what I'm doing in this life. Notice in the book of Philippians chapter 3. This is a verse that uh, is quoted often, but I want you to see something. There's a couple things to see. In uh, verse 14 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal even this unto you. So notice the first thing Paul's saying is there is a mark. There is a target, a goal that I'm pressing towards. I have it in my sights, and that's what consumes me, right? He, he, he said, I haven't learned everything, but I've learned how to do one thing, forgetting what is behind. And, and notice what he said in verse 13, and reaching forth unto those things which are before Reaching forth, the Woos Bible says, straining forward. All right? So he says, here's what I do. I forget what's behind, and I strain forward. And he said, in that straining, I'm pressing towards something. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm pressing toward the goal of the high calling of God that is in Christ. Hallelujah. I have it in my sight. I'm being purposeful. I know what my goal is. I know what my mark is. I'm being accurate. And then he says that the believer and the believers who are spiritually mature have this same mindset. Notice what he said. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded. What, what minded? Pressing towards the mark pressing towards the goal, pressing towards the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said that mature believers, that's their mindset. I'm pressing into what God wants me to do. Amen. Now, I understand that, that a lot of times when this is ministered by different individuals, it can be a, a, a little heavy-handed. You, you, you've got to watch the way you say things. But understand something, when you find the plan of God for your life, the mark, the goal, when you find what you're pressing towards, then that is the day when life not only becomes exciting, that is really the day when life becomes worth living. Because I'm doing what God has asked me to do. Hallelujah. We design our life based on what we're born for. We design our life based on what we're born for. In other words, you make decisions based on your race. What, what is my part? What is my assignment? And then I make my decisions based on that. Uh, some years ago, I ministered a message to uh, the men's group in, uh, uh, in DeSoto. And I just titled it this, Keep Turning Up. Keep Turning Up. Well, keep turning up is a phrase for just keep showing up. And my, my, my purpose in teaching that was 
If you want to grow, if you want to find out what God wants you to do, if you want to find your place in the body, you got to keep showing up. You just got to keep turning up. You just got to keep coming to church. You just got to keep showing up. You keep showing up on Wednesday. You keep showing up on Sunday. You keep showing up for prayer meeting. You keep showing up for special events. Why? Because here's what you're doing. You are beginning to make decisions based on your race. If you have a call of God on your life, the local church, the local church you're a part of, is going to play a prominent, if not the prominent part in that call and in that anointing, and you just keep showing up because you're making that decision based on your race, based on what you are called to do. Amen. I, and, and I made a statement in that teaching. I made this statement, and it can seem very simple, but I said, I realized when I accepted the responsibility to pastor that Sundays would never, ever again be my own. Ever. That, that for a large part, my life would never be my own again. Now, I made that decision. So there would be no lazy Sunday mornings with a cup of coffee and the newspaper. Amen. There, there, there would be times that you're going to be up most of the night with a family that, that, that is grieving the loss of a loved one or someone's in the hospital and, and you're up there and you're by their bedside and you're praying and you're seeking God with them or you're counseling a marriage or whatever the case may be. And I realize we set up, uh, uh, programs and protocols in place to make that easier, but here's the point. When I realize that, then I make decisions based on my race. My friendships are determined by my race. My relationships are determined by my race. I cannot be in a relationship with you if you're going to be detrimental to my race. I cannot have a friendship with you if you're going to be detrimental to what I'm born for. Because I'm making those decisions. Amen. When, when Pastor Michelle and I got married, it was so clear that we were the perfect partners for one another because we both were determined to run that race. And there have been disagreements over the years, but one thing there's never been a disagreement over, and that's what we're called to do. Amen. There have been times in the, in the formation of our churches and in the formation of our ministry that, 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 that we've been so busy, it was just kind of like we were passing in the hallway. But one thing that neither one of us ever did, oh, this is too much. This is, oh, it, you, we're, we're just, this, this is too much. We're too busy. I mean, we can't give anything. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to do. And when you make the race and you're interested in the race and you're making decisions based on what you're called to do, God will strengthen those other areas of your life. God will strengthen your family. God will strengthen your marriage. God will strengthen your finances. Why? Because your focus is what He wants you to do. I've watched people over the years that they'll start facing challenges and the first thing they do is abandon the local church. Well, that's like, cut, my daddy would say, that's cutting your nose off to spite your face. How can you do that? That's where you learn how to overcome. Oh, glory. There are people who want God interested in what they're doing, yet they have practiced disinterest in what's important to him. Amen. There, there are people that want God interested in what they're doing, but they have no interest in serving in the local church. They have no interest in getting involved. They have no interest in doing more. Hallelujah. 
They have no interest in making the ministry their own. See, here's what I mean by that. When you come to the local church and you make that ministry your own, you are treating it as your ministry, not as a launching pad into your ministry. This is your ministry. There there is no ladder from this ministry that you can climb to get to your ministry. This is your ministry. And see, when I begin to make that my aim, then those anointings and those giftings... Pastor Michelle made a statement Sunday night, and it, and it so impacted me. She, she talked about the anointing on the head. And where Jesus said, you know, I have come... Uh, matter of fact, I've got it right here. I want to quote it exactly right. Uh, she made the statement, the anointing is necessary for the accomplishment of what God has asked of us. But she said, I have to be able to carry out the desire of the one over me. So the anointing is there to help me carry out the desire of the one over me. Oh, glory. Do you see that? And so when people have this uh, assignment mindset, and this race orientation to them, then what becomes important and what I become interested in is the local church. I become interested in making my church, my local church, my part of the body succeed. Glory to God. Understand that being present does not mean a person is interested. Being present does not mean that a person is interested. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. I first heard Pastor Nancy teach it when she was at our church, or I mentioned it when she was at our church. There was a minister that was in a a foreign nation ministering, and he was there on the platform, and uh, 120 pastors and their wives had come to that meeting and brought their churches. So you've got 120 congregations that have been brought there by their pastors to this meeting. And he said he was sitting there on the platform and uh, that all of a sudden Jesus appeared and began to talk to him. And he went over to where these 120 ministers were sitting and he began to introduce them one by one to this man, to this minister. And he said it went something like this, that he, would, he went to the first person, the first couple, and he said, this is pastor so-and-so, and this is his wife, so-and-so, and they pastor such-and-such a church in this city. They're not interested. Now, there's 120 of them. When Jesus got done, the man said this, that out of 120, there were only three couples that Jesus said was interested. So 117, or excuse me, a uh, uh, 100, yeah, 117 couples, pastors, were there and brought their congregations, yet Jesus said they weren't interested. And he said, only three are interested. Notice what Jesus said. And I have something more for them. That's me. I want the something more. In my life, I'm interested in what God is doing and wants to do. And I want something more. You're here tonight in service on a Wednesday evening because you're interested in what God's doing. And hear me, my brother, sister, because you're interested, God's got something more for you. Glory be to God. The interest, the interested will always receive more. They just always will. Amen. That's important. And so, very often, you want to focus on why you're there and not on why somebody else isn't. 
or why somebody else is not as excited as you are. Amen. I, I can never understand why people aren't as interested in the things of God as I am. But here's what, I, what I've learned. I cannot let their disinterest lower my interest. I know what I have to do because this is my race appointed to me. Glory to God. We look back at all the men of God that have went before us. We, we look at these great men of God. Kenneth Hagin. I am so glad. I am so blessed. I am so joy-filled. Amen. That on his deathbed as a 16-year-old boy, that he grabbed a hold of the message of faith, that you can have what you say, that if you declare it, you say it, and you believe it, you'll have what you say. I am so blessed and overjoyed that as a 17-year-old boy, he got a hold of that word and came off that deathbed, and he has changed countless lives through the revelation that God gave him. And it's still changing lives because he was interested. Amen. Glory to God. So being present doesn't mean a person is interested. I remember one time, I'll share this. Uh, Pastor Michelle and I had really just got a, a hold of the word of faith. It was really our first uh, introduction to it. It was through Brother Copeland. And uh, a lady had given me a series of his uh, called How to Establish Your Heart on the Word of God from the London Victory Campaign many years ago. Uh, would have been in the early 90s, probably 92, I guess. And uh, in any event, I was listening to that. And uh, it was impacting my life because he was teaching that whole week from Psalm 112. And it was impacting my life. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I brought it home. We, we were living in Nashville, and we, we had moved to Kansas City. And I brought it with me on the bus ride to Kansas City. Now, I didn't have anything to listen to it with on the way. But when I got there, the only tape player that we had at that time was a little play school tape player that we had bought our, at that time, our youngest son. And I mean, you can imagine what it looked like. It looked like a toy. It was a little play school tape player. And I would put those tapes in that play school tape player and play them. Well, we had left a lot of our furniture there in storage. And so me and uh, a couple of family members were going to go back and, and get our furniture. They had some furniture there, and we were going to go back and get it. And so I brought that tape series along with me. And throughout the, the, the trip, uh, if they had, we were driving straight through uh, from Kansas City to Tennessee, and we, it would, it, we would drive through the night. And so I took the midnight shift, and they went to sleep, and I put in Brother Copeland, the tape player. And I'm listening. Man, I'm getting, I'm getting filled. But here's the point that I want to make. Uh, at some point after a little while, the person sitting in the front seat with me, he woke up, and the first words out of his mouth was, what is that? And I said, that's uh, Brother Copeland teaching. And I told him what he's teaching on. And it was his car. And so he reached over and ejected the tape. He goes, that's the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. Now think about this. Not interested. Not interested. What could have changed his life was in that tape player. Amen. That person is not only uh, now divorced and lost his family, they're not even saved. They're not even living for God. At any moment, he could have sat there and grabbed a hold of what was being said. Amen. But he didn't. I did. And I've looked back over my life. And it's decisions like that. It's little things that seem minor. It's decisions like that that are the reason I'm standing here tonight. 
when God began to deal with Pastor Michelle and I very heavily about the ministry and very heavy about, about moving into everything that God wants us to do, I set myself. I said, God, I, and I told my wife, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to study and I'm going to find what God wants us to do. And I shut myself away and I fasted, fa- fasted every chance I got, fasted as long as I could, studied the Word of God, spent hours in prayer, would, would spend nights in the basement where my wife's office was. She was uh, 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 working in my dad's ministry at the time and, and had set up an office down there and I would sit at that desk and I would study the Word of God and God would speak to me about the ministry and God would tell me what He wanted me to do. And it's those hours of preparation, it's those hours of interest in the things that God wanted me to do that are the reason I'm here tonight. Hallelujah. God gives more to those that show interest. To those that show interest. Hallelujah. There there are ministers that I ran into during that time of prolonged seeking God. I preached at their churches. I ministered for them. God did wonderful things in their life. They were so excited about what God was doing. They were turned on to the things of God. God turned their, God exposed them to the word of faith through our ministry. And you know, for a few weeks, they wanted to talk to me and come uh, disciple me and come help me. I was in a church preaching three straight weeks, seven days a week for three weeks, 21 days, if you can do real quick math. And and, and ministered the word of faith. People got healed. People got set free. People got delivered. People got their lives changed. This very minister wanted to talk to me, wanted to learn from me. It's, it's not about me. Here's what I'm saying. For a moment, he was interested. But he lost his interest. That church doesn't even exist today. I, that, last I heard, he's not even in the ministry. Well, what is the difference? I'm not perfect. I've missed it. I've missed it in front of you all. But here's the point. What's the difference? God says, I'll give more to those that are interested. When you look through the Word of God, it wasn't perfection other than Jesus. It was not perfection That singled out any person. When you think about David, it certainly wasn't perfection that describes him. What, What describes him? Interest in the heart of God. Interest in the heart of God. When you think about Abraham, it it certainly wasn't perfection that describes him. He made mistakes. But what describes him? Interest. In the plan of God. Interest in what God wanted him to do. And you can go down the line. Paul wasn't perfect. Paul made mistakes. But what's, what, what caused him to stand head and shoulders above everyone else? His interest in the things of God. I believe if Paul was not as interested as he was, there's no way God could have given him the revelation that he gave him but because of his level of interest. If you read through the scriptures, the thing that bothered Paul the most is when people would lose interest in what God wanted them to do. Hallelujah. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, of course, it's a familiar scripture, verse 49. Jesus had been left at Jerusalem by his parents, Mary and Joseph, And when they came back, I'll read the last part of that in the Amplified Bible. It says, they found Jesus, and he said to them, how is it you did not know I would be in my father's house? Notice, occupied about my father's business. So they found Jesus in the house of God, occupied with his father's business. That's where they found him. That was what piqued Jesus' interest. He wasn't running around looking at the sights. He wasn't doing what you would think uh, a normal 12-year-old would do. He's in the house of God, occupied 
with the Father's business. Think about this. At 12 years of age, Jesus knew he had an assignment and was occupied with it. At 12. At 12. Whatever age we are, we should be occupied with the local church and our assignment in it. At whatever age we're at. I remember Pastor Michelle and I were at a, a, a pastor's meeting. Uh, we were meeting with some pastors. They were putting on an event, and, and they had invited pastors from all around the metro area. And we went, and we were seated at a table with a, a, a lovely couple, elderly couple. And come to find out, this man was in his 80s. I wrote about this in my first book. But uh, he was in his 80s. And I began to talk to him, and come to find out, he was an Assembly of God pastor. And uh, we had recently planted a church uh, down around 7th and Central, down in Kansas City, uh, Kansas. And so we had the church here in DeSoto, then we had a church in Kansas City, Kansas. And so we were there, and the church that he was pastoring was not too far from the one we had planted. And uh, the one we had planted was in a, uh, a really rough neighborhood, and the one he had was even in a rougher neighborhood. And, uh, but here he is, 80 some odd. I think he was 83, 84 years of age. And uh, I began to talk to him. And he asked for that church. He had asked his organization for that church. Nobody else wanted it. He asked for it. And then he made this statement to me. He said, uh, so we're ministering to the people that are there. And he said, but we're starting to get some Hispanic people coming and they don't speak English, so I've got to figure out a way to minister to them. And here's what clicked in my mind. Here's an old soldier that's still asking for the hard assignments. He's so interested in what God wants him to do that he's still asking for the tough jobs that nobody else wants. Hallelujah. Because he's interested in what God can do through the local church. Glory to God. Whatever age we are, that's what we're occupied with. The plan of God for Jesus was not optional. What God wants you to do in your local church, to you, to me, to us, should not be optional. This is what He's asking of me. This is what I will do. I mean, think about this. We're still being blessed by Paul's obedience. It's been thousands of years since Paul walked this earth and we're still being blessed by his obedience to do what God asked him to do. Whew. What would happen to our city, our state, our nation, and our world if every person would get involved in the local church and fulfill what they were called to do? What would happen to the community that we're in? What would happen to the community here in DeSoto, the community in Little Rock, the community in the other areas where we have churches? What would happen if every member of the church, every member of the church fulfilled what they were called to do? Because the safe place for your life is in the plan of God. That's the safe place for your life. That's the safe place for your family. That's where you find financial security. That's where you find physical wholeness. That's where you find victory is in the plan of God for your life. Amen. And, 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 and what I run into some and what I run into a lot, and, and, and please understand what I mean by this. I, I realize that, 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 that people come to churches and there's a call of God on their life and, and maybe a call to evangelize or plan. Uh, I, I understand that. But here's, here's something I want you to see. You're not here until X happens. You're here. You're just here. I'm not putting a qualifier on that. I've had people come to the church before and say, well, you know, I'll be here till God moves me. So you're expecting to be moved. So then it doesn't matter how anointed, it doesn't matter how uh, spiritual, it doesn't matter how called with that qualifier on the end until God moves me, then that person cannot be moved. This is where God 
called you. This is where you're planted. This is where you're hooked up. This is where your anchor is. This is the pillar and the ground of the truth for you. And we change the world from here. We change our nation from here. We change our state from here. We change our city from here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In John 17 and 4, again from the Amplified Bible, Jesus said, I've glorified you down here on the earth, notice, by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus says, the way I glorified the Father is by carrying out my assignment. Now think about that. So, if you're a member of the parking lot team and you show up on Sunday morning and you help people park or you pick up the parking lot, according to Jesus, you're glorifying God because that's your assignment. When you usher and you help serve the people of God, serve communion elements, Serve by receiving their tithe, God's tithe and their offerings. When you serve by helping in the prayer line or you serve by helping someone find a seat or you serve by helping someone in some other area, according to Jesus, you're glorifying God. When you greet and people come to church and you greet them and you welcome them to the house of God and you welcome them in a spirit of, of love and concern and you welcome them in an attitude of quality and excellence. Jesus said you are glorifying God because that's your assignment. Pastor Michelle mentioned something else Sunday night that so blessed me as well and, and we've talked about this at some length. But when the, the, the three kings, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and another king, they got in some trouble. And one of the kings said, the Lord's brought us out here to die. And Jehoshaphat said, wait a minute. Is there a prophet that we can inquire of the Lord by him? And they said, well, there is Elisha that poured water over Elijah's hands. Notice what they didn't say. Well, there is Elisha who's raised the dead. There is Elisha that multiplied the stew and cured the death that was in the pot. There is Elisha that's done all these miracles. He had done all those things. But notice what they said about him. He poured water over Elijah's hands. The most outstanding thing about Elisha to those people was that he had served Elijah. Now here's the question, where did he get that anointing? Where did he get that power? Where did he get that ability? In his service. In his service. It multiplied on him. It came on him as he served. As you usher, as you greet, as you work in the AV, as you work in the student ministry, children's ministry, praise and worship, there is an anointing that's coming on you and settling on you that will enable you to do what God has called you to do in the local church He's called you to do it in. She said something else, and I, and I may be re-preaching her message, but she said something else. And, and, I've, and I've seen this over the, over the years, and it was so beautiful to me, that when Obed-Edom became exposed to the glory of God while the Ark of the Covenant was in his home, when David came back with the priest and they transported the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, it's interesting that then as you go through the singers and the porters and the helpers and the Levites in, in the temple, in David's temple, you know what you see over and over again? And Obed-Edom was a singer and Obed-Edom was a porter and Obed-Edom was this and Obed-Edom, wow. He was consumed with the house of God. Glory to God. In Acts 20 and 24, in the Living Bible, Paul said, But life is worth nothing 
unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. So Paul said life was worth nothing if he didn't finish the work assigned to him. Think about that. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Paul is writing about a family in Achaia. And it says in the Living, Living Bible, they are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. The Bible in the King James Version says they have addicted themselves to the gospel. The Woost Bible says, uh, excuse me, or excuse me, the, the, the New English says, they have laid themselves out to serve God's people. So notice what he says about these, this family. They are spending their lives helping God's people. When you get involved in the local church and you get involved helping in the local church, you are spending your life to help God's people. You are laying yourself out to help God's people. And guess what? God has more for you because of that. Ha! Glory to God. You'll never have to worry about paying your bills when you make God's house your primary assignment. Won't have to worry about it. I promise you. Why? Because, because when you honor God, He said, I'll honor you. Glory to God. The next, very next verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, the King James says, submit yourself to them. The Living Bible says, please follow their instruction and do everything you can do to help them. The Woos Bible says, put yourself under the leadership as such as these. Paul says the people who should be followed are those that are spending their lives or laying themselves out for the gospel. That's so important. So what we see then is what qualifies a person to be listened to or to be followed, one of the main qualifiers is whether or not they have a heart for the local church and the people of God. I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating. I had a man and his wife come to the church one time, and they were, they were blessed by the ministry, and they were talking to me. Uh, they wanted to meet with me, and so I did, and and they explained to me that they had been in the entertainment industry and they had uh, done many uh, programs on TV and, and they had a, a, a fairly impressive resume that they gave me. And uh, they said, uh, I believe that we could help with your praise and worship and we could really do some really good productions. And I looked at them and I thanked them and I said, I appreciate what you're saying. I said, but here's the thing. I said, I'm big on faithfulness. And I said, what you need to do is come to church and prove yourself faithful to the church and to the things of God. All right? Now, notice what I'm doing. What am I doing? It wasn't that I didn't need their talent. I could have used it. It would have been a blessing. But I don't want somebody on that stage that's not laying themselves out for the people of God or giving their life, not giving their life for the people of God. Remember that's what he said? They are spending their lives helping the people of God. What, why is that so important? Because we're not here to entertain with music. We're here helping with music to run our race. You're here helping on the camera and helping in, in the AV and helping in the ushers and helping in whatever area you're helping. You're here because you think and you sense and you know that is your assignment and you're going to finish it. 
That's the key. And notice what Paul says. These are people that you can submit to. These are people that you can follow because they're safe. Hallelujah. Faithfulness precedes promotion, not talent. Well, to make a long story short, uh, they met with me uh, about three weeks after that, and they had not been in church regularly. And he was kind of frustrated. And he said, well, I just want to know when we're going to be able to use our grace gifts here. (laughs) And I said, well, brother, I said, uh, I'm big on faithfulness. And if you just keep showing up, we'll see what God has in store. Amen. You can be the greatest preacher in the world. And come to a local church. And any local church that wants to see you fulfill your assignment is not going to just immediately put you up and have you start preaching. You might start in another area. But now notice what I'm saying. You'll advance in the anointing and you'll advance in your abilities and you'll advance in your ability to hear and follow the plan of God. And it won't be long. You'll be fulfilling that preaching assignment on your life. And, it, and, and, and I'm, I'm not even going to say it may start. It might be in the student ministry, the children's ministry, the young adult ministry, the overcomers, whatever it may be. But here's the point. You're fulfilling the plan of God for your life. And your mindset is not, how can I now go do my own thing? Your mindset is, how can I serve and be a blessing where God called me? That's the key. So every time you greet, you usher, you work in these different departments, the clean team, the hospitality team, the parking lot team, you're addicting yourself to the ministry of the saints. You're spending your life for the only thing that has eternal reward tied to it. If, if, if you looked at, at Revelation 14, 13, it talks about those that finish their race. And notice what it says. It says their works follow them. So the only thing that's going to follow me, one of the only things into eternity is what I did while I was on this earth. Where my assignment's concerned. Hallelujah. And so then the question becomes this, very simply. Are you interested? Are you interested? Because when I become interested in promoting the plan of God and promoting what God wants to do, promoting the hope of the world, which is the local church, then God says, okay, I got something more for you. And I'll finish with this. If... uh, you look at Pastor Michelle and I's life, quite frankly, I, I, when, when I say this, I, I, I want you to understand. If you look from a natural standpoint, there may, have, there may not be two more unqualified people than us. Because, of course, Pastor Michelle's background, she didn't know anything about God, really, until she was... Uh, in her uh, early 20s, 22, 23 years of age. Uh, I was raised in church. I was raised knowing I had a call of God on my life, but I had not applied myself to... uh, Well, when I got a hold of the Word of God, I don't know that I had ever finished one assignment in my life, quite frankly, because I just was not a finisher. I was a world-class quitter. That's what I did. And... uh, when God began to talk to us and deal with us about these things, we got in the Word of God and we made some commitments. And then we got involved in the local church. Here's my reason for telling you that. Whatever your qualifications are or your lack of qualifications, it is your interest level that will determine your success. 
I never looked at what I was able to do and what I was not able to do or what she was able to do or not able to do. We just stayed interested. We just stayed interested in what God wanted us to do. And when you stay interested in what God wants you to do and you stay focused and, and you show up at church and, and whatever you get to do and however you get to do it, and you say, this, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm staying. There's more for you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.